This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Water Cooler Talk, the most amazing podcast on the internet, aka quoted by my mom. So you know that's uh, you know that's some true stuff. Anyways, guys, if you're wondering what you're listening to, you're listening to Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet, hosted by me. And every week or every other week, we bring on a special guest. Today's special guest is Angie Krause. Angie Krause, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. I'm grateful to be here. Awesome. That is always good to hear. We've had a few guests who just hate to be here and I have to force them to <laughs> get some good content out of them. But uh, this is this is an audio podcast, so no one knows what's going on behind the scenes. It's crazy down here in this basement. <laughs> good thing people don't know. All right. Well, if you guys are wondering what this podcast is about, every other week we bring on a special guest and we talk about the strangest, the weirdest, the quirkiest news stories in the world today. And Angie, all these stories, they're real. They actually happened. People sometimes will email me. You guys can also email me at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. They'll email me and ask me, is that story real? And I tell them, maybe. I don't know. Figure it out yourself. <laughs> no, all these stories are real. All these stories are real. Don't just blow away my credibility. But let's get into a first, our first story. Are you ready to get into our first story? I am ready to go. All right, Angie, I'm going to list off some things, and I want you to tell me if you like these things or do not like these things. Okay. So let's start with naps. Do you like naps? I do like naps. Avocados. I really like a good avocado. Craft beer. I do like craft beer. <laughs> and participation ribbons. Not that I'm against them or for them. I just don't even really have any connection to them. All right. Well, if you guys are playing along at home and you like all those things, you may or may not be a millennial. This is Millennials Outrage After Baseball Team Advertises Millennial Night. This is from Fox News. According to one Alabama minor league baseball team, the Montgomery Biscuits, naps, selfies, avocados, craft beer, safe spaces, and participation ribbons are the pillars of life for people born between the 1980s and early 2000s or otherwise known as the millennial. I am considered a millennial. Angie, you are not. That's correct. I am considered Gen X. Okay. I didn't know if you wanted to throw your age out there. I'll throw it out there. I've got no issues with my age. I'm 47. Wow. Almost. Not wow. Like that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> wow in a good way. In a All good right. Way. Good. Like, wow. She's so wise. Wow. <laughs> Any thoughts on the millennial people hating on the millennial? You know, I have a very different point of view than I feel like many people have on millennials. I actually have a very different experience with the millennials that I've come in contact with and that I work with. You would be one of them being a client of mine. I feel like sometimes millennials really get a bad rap. I do from, from the deepest place in my heart. And I feel like that's went through generations beyond generations, right? The baby boomers thought our generation didn't do things right. Our generation will look at the next generation. But what I love about millennials is they are very true to who they are, and it's hard to rock them from their core. I feel like that is a really good quality to have in a human being on this planet. Very wise words. The 47 years of age is really paying off today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the one thing I have to say is the the participation ribbons. I always hear that about millennials. And that's, I mean, it's something that's common. It's I've gotten participation awards. That's 
something we didn't choose. That was something our parents wanted. It's a weird thing that people are always like, oh, millennials, they need their participation trophy. And it's like, none of the millennials really care for those awards. It was always like, oh, I have to take this because my parents want me to take this. I just want to, I know, I know this whole thing is a joke in a sense of, you know, we have the St. Paul Saints here in Minnesota who do like similar things, like every home game is like a different theme or just to kind of get people into these, not minor league teams, but fun baseball games. So it's, I know in the end, this thing is a joke, but I just want to say about the participation. I'll get back to my thought, the participation ribbons. We didn't choose those. So don't get on my case don't about it. Case. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. That's why when you asked what I thought about them, I don't have a feeling either way. And I think what you mentioned is a very valid point about a lot of things with the millennials. Millennials didn't grow up with a cell phone in their hand. Somebody put that cell phone in their hand, right? They didn't grow up thinking I should go have some avocado toast, right? There's certain things that the older generations, me being a part of, have to take responsibility for that. And I feel like the participation is always perplexing to me as well, because going to watch, you know, the young millennials that I know when they were little in sports, I don't recall that. And I remember them playing their heart out just as much and they weren't crybabies as people will stereotype them to say. I feel like that's something that is put on by older generations. And they're, in fact, as you mentioned, often the people that gave away those ribbons. So it's a really interesting dichotomy. No judgment on the millennials and certainly no judgment on the older generations. It's just where's the responsibility? There? Yeah, it's weird, but you are wearing a shirt that says down with the millennials. I just want to point that out that she's <laughs> um, wearing a shirt. I'm absolutely <laughs> Not wearing that shirt, but that is funny. Well, speaking of the story, in an effort to bring younger fans to the ballpark, the Biscuits hosted a millennial night, uh, one of 70 promotions offered for home games, but their advertising has set off an eruption of mixed feedback from the very group they're trying to attract. Their tweets ended up going viral because a lot of people were offended. Before the night, the Biscuits tweeted, and this was the tweet that went viral, want free things without doing much work. Well, you're in luck. Riverwalk Stadium will be millennial friendly with a participation ribbon giveaway just for showing up, napping, and selfie stations along with a lot of avocados. So that was their tweet that went viral that offended uh, many people that they were trying to get in. But I talked about the St. Paul Saints. Obviously, this was a thing to get people to the park. It wasn't, it's not like a serious, oh, F the millennials. The funny thing is, I don't know if you'd read any of the tweets like responding to that tweet, but a lot of the tweets were from like older, the older generation generation being like, oh, dang right. And a lot of people who actually didn't read into it at all. And I feel like that's a common thing is the older generation just reads a headline and it's like, that's what I believe. Whereas millennials, they actually read the story and actually know what is actually going on. I I feel like the millennials are more informed and maybe that's like a social or not a social media thing, but an internet thing where the older generation doesn't understand too much of the internet. I know I kind of want your take on that. Why do you think the older generation just reacts that's a great question. So how do you define the older generation? Are you talking about baby boomers? Are you talking about... Let's go with baby boomers because the baby boomers is what I see as the common connection with being mad at the millennials. Got it. I see it too. And I'm on the same page with you. So what I notice about that is there's definitely judgment that goes both ways. The millennials are judging the boomers and the boomers are judging the millennials. Now I'm right in the middle with Gen X and I, I can see both sides of the story for sure. And I think if a conversation was had and people started to understand each other a little bit more and got to know each other, I mean, you and I are from two very different generations, yet we have 
incredibly awesome, funny, witty, sometimes stupid, but often very deep conversations. And we're always able to connect. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say that. Okay. Very true. So if we can connect on that level, I think what's what's missing with a lot of those connections between the boomers and the millennials is the intent. I want to connect. There's, I feel like there's a divide that the millennials are partly responsible for, some of the millennials, and of course, some of the boomers. So to answer your question about news, that's interesting. Their generation came up in a very different society, right? So their experience with news is very different from how the millennials get their news. So I disagree with you on the fact that it's because it's the internet, but I do agree with you and see somewhat some baby boomers, again, not all, can't generalize any generation, will often just read the headline without going in deeper or more importantly, researching multiple sources. On the flip side, millennials can also, some millennials can also do the same thing. I see an inherent bias in both generations. I, I think that's very true. And I think it's the same when it comes to like race or gender. There's a very, most baby boomers, most millennials do not care. But then you have that small minority in both of those groups that are very loud. And that's who often gets heard or often news stations will report on. Um, I think this is a case where most millennials, like even says Mike Murphy, vice president of fan engagement for the Montgomery Biscuits stated, 80% of the people in our front office are millennials, myself included, and we're just having fun with some of the cliches that people point out about millennials. So most people, they don't care, but it's that small minority that made this a news story. Because there's other baseball teams that have done the same thing. They've done millennial night and every time it causes controversy. I mean, from a PR's perspective, it's a very smart decision because Gary. this small baseball club in Montgomery, Alabama is now on the national stage. I just think it's the smaller groups from each sector that are really battling it out. People forget a lot of the time, especially with social media, where it's very easy to be loud. It's very easy to have your opinion heard that you can't take that at face value. You have to realize that the bigger majority of like the millennials or the baby boomers, they're not the ones talking about it at all. So you kind of have to realize that, okay, the minority of each of those groups are the ones who disagree with something and they're going to be the louder. Absolutely. That was incredibly well said. And I agree with that 100%. I feel like that's not even an issue, though, that has anything to do with millennials or baby boomers. You know, in, in my experience, if you, your core can get shaken that easily if if that group can be so easily offended by something, any group actually, that says it, it really has nothing to do with the baseball game and who they're target. There's something else going on there, which, which again, it's here nor there. But when blanket statements are made about any generation, any generation, I feel like that's a pretty dangerous place to go. And you're right. If you're loud and you make a lot of noise, it's going to get out there. So are the millennials causing more of the stereotyping by feeling so offended by it? Because that's one of the stereotypes that they have. That's for people. Each person has to make their own decision. And is the baby boomer generation too critical of the millennials? I think the one topic I see universally that I agree with the millennials about is working hard. I, I always it always makes me pause when somebody says, oh, they don't have to work that hard. I'm from the Midwest. You're from the Midwest. I was born to work very hard. I've worked very hard my whole life. And I love that I have those Midwest work really hard. In fact, most every job interview I went to when I was in high school and college, they would describe me as a hard worker. And I think that's something to be very proud of. And 
I am. And there's something to be said for working smart. And that's what I help professionals to do and global leaders. There's no glory in working yourself to the bone every single day. Either. Well, yeah, and that's something that you've taught me working with Roar for Change is originally I was like, I need to work hard. I need to have all these different projects going for people to see my worth. And you kind of taught me how you don't need to do that. You can show your worth in such an easier and smarter way by working smarter and being more efficient with your time. And I think that's something yeah, really important to know how I look at it is you got to balance it out at the end of the day. If you've worked so hard and you've worked yourself into an early grave, is that worth it? Mm -hmm. And I found when I was working here in Minneapolis, I was in that mode where I was working in an ad agency and I loved what I did. However, I was working before the sun came up and coming home late when it didn't. And I just thought there's got to be a different way. I learned a different way. And that felt what was in tune with me. So I could still be highly productive, still give back to the world in huge, huge ways. And I didn't have to put a million hours in. Yeah, I think that's very important to just, I mean, summarize that as quickly as you can is don't work harder, work smarter work smarter. And another thing I think your generation does a beautiful job of, you know, you get a lot of slack for avocado toast. And here's the deal. I like avocado toast. It's good. I, I don't even, I don't like avocados. All right. I do. And I, I like guacamole, though. Okay. That's avocados, I guess. It is counts. avocados. Yeah. Your generation has a gift for teaching the older generations, including myself, to slow down a little bit. Same with naps. I love naps, but I'm not a napper. I, I would strive to nap. I try to nap so hard and I'm so proud when I nap for 20 minutes, but I always think I've got to be doing something. So the fact that you guys can slow down and enjoy this beautiful planet we're on, I think there's something to really be said for that. And I think sometimes the judgments from that older generation are wishing sometimes some of the people that they too had that, which is possible for them. They're just not choosing it. So I, I see that. It's like, well, that person's just slacking. And I'm like, are they really? Or how is it that they're producing all this good in the world and they're still able to take care of themselves because self-care is something that kind of just started coming into my generation. You guys have it down a little bit better than we do. And I think sometimes, to be fair, on the boomers' perspective, millennials can go too far on, people might see it as too far on self-care. Let's close out the story by me asking you this question. What advice would you give to the people offended by the story, both baby boomers and millennials. So one thing to think about whenever you're having a feeling of feeling offended is to just stop and pause for a minute. Say out loud, isn't it interesting that I am upset that this baseball team is saying this about my generation? Why am I upset? Usually we're quick to react. If you can slow your energy down and just respond, you'll start to go, oh, you know what? Actually, that reminds me of the time that my dad said I was a slacker. And that really bothers me. And then for the older generation, same rules apply. Isn't it interesting? And then really say, why am I personally upset by this? And is it really worth my energy? And is it worth directing all that negative energy to another generation? Or could I try to understand maybe where they're coming from? Maybe you go out for avocado toast together. I don't know. But there's got to <laughs> be a I've never seen such a divide between two generations and I'm a connector so I'm all about bringing people together do you think this joke would bring 
people together. Oh, God, so I'm thinking, well, I was thinking of ideas on how we can get back at the baby boomers. They should have a baby boomer night where you get free admission for yelling at the teenage cashier for not being able to afford a house yet and then trashing the stadium so the next crowd has to pick up and pay for it. Do you think that would be a good... <laughs> I'm cringing. Do you think no. that would be a good advertisement night? No, and I know you well enough to know that you are just and you are joking, and that's a very unfair stereotype to the boomers. There's yeah. so many good boomers out there. But that's as well. yeah, that's kind of why I made that joke because it's basically the flip side. It's extreme of, sides. Yeah, I agree. And anytime there's extremes in race, religion, generations, it's all about how can we come and find common ground. And there's always common ground. And I believe laughter is a really good way to get there. Like it's it's kind of ridiculous some of the things that we get an uproar about and oh we got some stories for you Ooh, we got some bring them on yes well all right angie that was our first story of the day kind of get in there lead off hitter <laughs> speaking of baseball stories how are you feeling so I'm far i'm feeling good let's go for the second pitch all right well i want to introduce you first i want do you want people to know who you are or do you just want them to know you as angie i'll stay under the radar no absolutely <laughs> share who i am well angie krause is the guru behind be your brand moments that matter and angie she is a professional presenter, facilitator, consultant, and positive champion for global leaders. She powerfully assists leaders to navigate fear, ego, release judgments, and elevates leaders to be the leader they were born to be. Any Was that pretty good? I was really good, Adam. Thank Anything you. you would like to add to that? No, you did a great job. Well, I would like to ask you a question. Okay, ask away. And this, I want you to take this seriously because <laughs> my listeners care about the seriousness of this podcast. And I think, I think this would be a good question to kind of get people to know you better outside of what you do for a job and how you respond to these questions. So Angie, what would be your least favorite mm. superpower to have? That is a provocative and interesting question. Some people call you the Wonder Woman of the business world. They do? Ooh, I love those powers. Those ones serve me well. What power would I not want? You know, everybody seems to, I shouldn't say everybody, that's a generalization. Many people seem to want their superpower to fly. That is just not on my radar. You would not want to fly. I would not want to fly. Why is that? I'm not afraid of heights. I just have never felt that connection. I think one that people often say is time travel. That's very interesting to me. But if I had to, somebody said you could fly for the wherever you wanted to go, I would say yeah, I can get on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. And speaking of, well, speaking of time travel, would you go back in time and try to win yourself a bunch of money? I would not. That would not be my... You are nodding your head yes, but no, you're saying... I'm, no, I'm, I'm nodding. No, I'd actually... No, I would actually... The thing I would do if I could time travel is I would absolutely with certainty go back and be with the people that I love dearly that are no longer on this earth. You're a lot better person than me because I would go right back and bet <laughs> greedy on, millennial. Yeah. Well, speaking of winning a bunch of money and speaking of our relationship, a personal relationship, we are related. We are. Would you like to share how we are related? You are my nephew. And as your nephew, if we won the lottery, would you split it with me? Let me ask you this: If I won the lottery, what do you believe I would do? I believe you would give out a portion to your family to everybody equally. Yes. How? How far reaching would I go? I have no idea because you're you're more in, you're more involved in the family than I am. To me, there would be like a handful of people, but you're a lot more connected than I am with the family. So I don't know how far that reach would go. But I feel like if you won for say one point two million dollars, maybe like fifty thousand to each people, kind of throw it around. You are very correct. That's about how I would do it. 
Well, not everyone's aunt is as nice. See you in court, aunt tells nephew after $1.2 million lottery win. This is from CBC News, Nova Scotia. A photo op to celebrate a $1.2 million win in Nova Scotia turned sour when two family members feuded over the win. Barbara Reddick and her nephew Tyrone McKinnis posed for the camera with the giant check after winning the Chase the Ace fundraiser benefiting the two local fire departments. Once the photos finished, however, Barbara turned to Tyrone and said, see you in court. To a stunned audience, Barbara continued, and we're going to play the audio, her actual audio from this. I don't know if you've listened to this yet, Angie, but here is what Barbara had to say. JCA Sweeters is going to court. I'm taking them to court. It was my ticket. Why's that? Why? Because I bought, I bought the ticket, and now he's trying to lie and say, we. I said split. I said split with the 50-50. Not with no JCAs. I'm taking them to court. I'm getting my lawyer tomorrow. Now you can print that. Farberetic. So you didn't have no agreement at all? No, we did not. Yes, you did. No, we did not. Uh, you know what agreement we had? Ricky Reddick wants to buy a truck. That's what it is. You keep my name in your milk. I'll tell you right now. He's lying. I put his name on the thing I told him for good luck. Now he's lying. But I'm taking it to court. I'm serious. I'm getting a lawyer tomorrow. Whose name was on the ticket? Me oh. and Tyrone. You and Tyrone's ticket? I put his name on the ticket for good luck. Why did you do that? Because he's like a son to me. He was. But he, you put it on the name for good luck, you said? Yeah. Obviously, he was lucky then. Yeah, he was lucky. But not for a half a million dollars. You don't think he deserves it? No, I don't think so. So that is good old Barbara Reddick. So this is how the whole situation broke down. In order to play the lottery, people bought tickets for a 50-50 draw. So 50% of the total profit would go to the fire department, 50% would go to the winner. And that's what Barbara was talking about, the 50-50. However, if someone drew the lucky ace of spades, they would win the jackpot. $1.2 million is what the jackpot ended up to be. Barbara, lucky her, then proceeded to draw the lucky ace of spades. And since both names, her and her nephew Tyrone, were on the ticket, the committee assumed the two had an agreement on the split, which would make sense. Tyrone told the press, yes we did. Barbara responded, he's lying. And as stated in the clip, this is Barbara's reasoning. I put his name on the ticket for good luck because he's like a son to me. He was. Uh, he was lucky, but not for half a million dollars. Bernice Curley, chair of the Marguerite Forks Chase the Ace Committee, was floored by Barbara's decision. Since two names were on the winning ticket, Bernice wrote a check for half of the winnings to both Barbara and Tyrone for $600,000 Canadian each. And Canadians, I mean, pretty similar to um, US dollars, so it's not too much of a difference. She said, I can't really explain it. I didn't expect anything like that to happen. Angie, would you throw your family under the bus for $600,000? No, no, no. But I have to say, I get a kick out of her interview. She's got chuspa, man. I mean, she's she's passionate about what she's passionate about. I would not. I would never let money get in the way. To me, money is, family is everything. So there's not a dollar amount that you would throw your family under the bus? There's not one dollar amount that you could ever throw my way to throw any member of my family under the bus.
bus. That wow. is that is like take it to the gospel. That's how it is. I would throw my mom under the bus for ah, like ten you bucks. Would, you would not. <laughs> you are just as loyal. You're saying for a billion dollars, you would not throw a family member under for the a bus. trillion dollars. I love my family, so you know how much I love my yeah. family. So no, I would not. What's so interesting about this story, though, is you know nobody was there, so we don't know anything. And this is one of those cases where I just go in unbiased, wanting to know what each side of the story was. Interesting that his name was on the ticket. I could see her point that it's for good luck. Well, and this is how the ticket, so it was a name, then it was Barbara's full name, and then under the name category was address, and that's where Tyrone's name was. So it wasn't Barbara and Tyrone. It was the name Barbara Reddick address. She put down Tyrone. But for the phone number, she used Tyrone's phone number. Interesting. So I don't know if that throws another wrench into your... Well, I don't know. I mean, because I could see it from either way. I could see each person seeing it in a different way. It reminds me of that Cameron Diaz movie with uh, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher, where they... What happens in Vegas. So what I think they need to do is they need to throw Tyrone and Barbara in an apartment and they have to live together for whatever, six months and go to counseling like Cameron Diaz and Ashton Kutcher did to figure the shit out. Well, the thing is, like, I believe it should be an equal split. And why, ask, so, why do you believe that? Well, okay, so she says that I used, I put Tyrone's name on the ticket for good luck. So by that sentiment, karma, <laughs> karma yes, she won because of Tyrone. She won because of his luck. So he should get half of it. And that's, it sounds like maybe, and like you said, you know, there's probably a lot more, like a oral agreement doesn't stand up in court. But it sounds like there was a, a split if, Barbara won the 50-50 less money. There was an even split for that, it sounded like. For the other. But then when she won the jackpot, she was like, mm, oh, let's not. Yeah. I meant, I just meant we're splitting the 50-50 winnings, not the jackpot winnings. To me, it sounds like from what Barbara even said, she agreed to split the money with Tyrone 50-50. But when she found out that she won the jackpot, she was like, screw you, nephew. <laughs> Well, I don't know because we don't, here's the thing. We don't know her intention. We don't know his intention. We weren't there. Nobody but those two people know exactly what happened. And clearly they both have a different memory of how that transpired. So you're saying they sh- Barbara should get the whole no, jackpot? No, I'm not saying that at all. I am, I'm scratching my head on this one because it reminds, it does really, all jokes aside, remind me of that movie because one person put in the quarter, the other person pulled the lever, you know, where did the winnings come out? I think the, the more important issue is when she says he was like a son to me. That's very interesting to say when you're willing to take him to court and very interesting that he's willing to fight his aunt. So she has $600,000. She's probably going to spend that, maybe even half that in legal fees to probably lose to her nephew in court. And kind of how I saw this is Barbara's looking at the situation not as winning $600,000, but losing $600,000. Mm, interesting. Uh, that's that's actually I hadn't looked at it that way. That's very interesting. I would not want to be the judge and jury in that case. I'd want to hear more. Obviously, when they go to court, if they go to court, they're going to hear more. I think it's incredibly sad that if they indeed had a close relationship, you ask me the question, would you sue me? Would you, could you ever in any circumstance see yourself, like if you and I work together how we do professionally and we work on production and movies, is there any circumstance in the world where you would ever see suing me or your mom or your Aunt Lori, somebody? Yeah, that- I'm already planning to sue my mom at the moment. Okay, awesome. No, um, I mean, it's hard to say. I know a lot of people say that, you know, money wouldn't 
change. But when you're looking at millions and billions of dollars, that completely changes your whole life. I mean, not for a million, not for 10 million, not for 100 million. But if it got up to a billion dollars, people don't realize how much a billion dollars is. I have no idea how much even a million dollars is. That's a completely foreign amount to me. And when you put that money in front of you, there's reason why people kill people for money. It's because money is a very powerful thing. And I feel like when you get to, say, a billion dollars, people would do a lot of questionable things. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't throw my mom under the bus for a billion dollars, but I would think about it. I think at a billion dollars, I would start thinking. I'm being very realistic here. I, okay, I hear what you're Don't saying. listen to this podcast, I, mom. I hear what you're saying, and I know you very well, and I know your heart. I do know your heart. I mean, yeah, I want to do it. I would think about it. Well, here's the thing. I do feel like in certain relationships that are, you know, I do a lot of business with close friends. I do a lot of business with some family members. You and I do business together. And we do a very good job of keeping clean lines. But we also hold each other's respect level. Now, if I ever crossed boundaries with you where I was doing something that was so out of integrity and I was so out of my ego, which I never see happening, and I was trying to take something from you, I would hope that I've been the global leader that I believe I am to you, that I would have taught you well enough to stand up for yourself and you make sure you go after that person in the fact of not attacking, but holding the worth of who you are. Then I would feel like I have done my job and actually I would feel like you are holding me capable as a leader. That would be important. Yeah. However, that situation would never happen, I know, and I don't feel that there would ever be a situation where any amount of money could be thrown at you, where you would throw the people that I know you love most. And if you think about it, that's all right. I think a lot of people would think about it. I think as you get older, that might change. I have no judgment on you for saying that. I think people are going to be sitting out there going, I can't believe you said that to your honor. I can't believe you think that about your mom. But I know you. So how this is going to play out with everybody there, I just like to witness it and observe it. I'm not going to judge her. I'm not going to judge him. I think it's a super interesting story. I would love to see how it plays out. And me, of course, who wants people to stay connected, I'm rooting for them to figure it out Mm -hmm. and realize the money's not worth it. And that being said, they might each need to learn the lesson in a different way. So maybe the bigger lesson their souls need to learn is one suing the other. Again, not my place to judge, not my place to say. Well, this is what Rob Curry said. He's a teacher from the Shulik School of Law at Dalhousie University. Uh, The first thing about the court case, this is what he talked about the court case. The first thing that needs to be done is find out what rules and regulations are in place for this type of situation. There would have to be evidence about what the terms of the agreement were, an oral contract is much dicier than a written one. So Rob is saying that the oral agreement between Barbara and Tyrone is a lot more dicier than actually having Tyrone on the ticket. He then went on to add, since the dispute is more than $25,000, it is too large to be brought to a small claims court and it will only be brought to the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia. It could cost tens of thousands of dollars for both sides and it could drag out for years. Stories like this happen all the time. There's a story in California where a woman won the law didn't tell her husband, proceeded to divorce him. <laughs> wow. And then obviously the court found out about it and she had to split it. But the, yeah, the, so this is a question I want to ask you. If she wouldn't have won, they would have just laughed this off 
and they would probably like went to lunch or something, talked about, oh, well, this is what I would have done with the winnings or stuff like that. Do you think the relationship is ruined? Okay, so good point. It's interesting how your perspective is she ruined the relationship. Oh, interesting. That's what you said. She okay. ruined the relationship because we know you got this thing against these boomers, right? <laughs> and he's just an entitled millennial. Yeah. I'm kidding. If you didn't listen to the earlier part of the podcast, it's interesting to see where it would have went otherwise. I agree with you. I think they would have went out for lunch. Did you see the movie? Did you see that Cameron Diaz movie, yeah. What Happens in Vegas? Mm-hmm. How I would have handled it is I would have let it go and I would show up at his doorstep and I would have punched him and said, you know why? All jokes aside, I feel like they are both responsible for the situation. You know, the conflict is coming from both sides. So until one yields or one person decides the relationship is more important than the money. And that being said, we don't know the we don't know what happened in the backstory of the relationship. This could be an ongoing issue. Like, we have no idea. We just know the top line from the story. So you think there's a possibility that they repair their relationship? By the way, Barbara's fury on that interview. <laughs> interview was my guess is no but because i champion for people and their soul and their leadership i'm hoping barbara comes in her heart i'm hoping tyrone comes in their heart i hope they split the money i hope they give some of it away do i believe that's what's gonna happen unfortunately i do not yeah i was in that same way i was like oh it seems like you know maybe they can talk about it. and then i listened to the interview i was like that woman is not gonna stop until she gets that money she's she's upset but she also feels wrong so maybe he did wrong her again you know it's going to be up to the judge, the jury, and who's ever trying the case. And the executioner, because someone execu- needs to die. <laughs> oh, my God, Adam. <laughs> All right. Well, Mom, if you're listening to it, if someone offers me a billion dollars, I'm selling you. But anyways, I just wanted to add the one thing they always say to read the last sentence of a crazy news story. This is the last sentence. Rob Curry said that there are many disputes known to Canadian law about lottery tickets, and his impression is that none of them end very well. So Rob Curry, he's thinking that this is not going to end very well for good old Barbara and Tyrone. Any closing words on this story, Angie? You know, it seems like most people that win the lottery run into that. You know, people come out from the woodwork and want something. I I don't know. It's kind of that blessing and a curse thing. Where... Well, that's why, yeah, definitely if I won the lottery, I would not want my name out there. Because there's the now nowadays people are literally trying to protect their identity because people will find you and kill you. Oh, because really? Because when you win the lottery, your face is on everything. Oh, that's true. And people realize, oh, this lady has $10 million, I'll just go kill her and rob her. So I would definitely always protect my identity. I think you've won the lottery with this family. Wow, it's hers. Wow, it's thick All right, Angie, let's talk about Australia. Have you ever been to Australia? I have not. Would you want to go to Australia? You know, I somewhat. There's so many other places I'd rather go. I think living in California most of the year, I have such a experience of that climate that I know Australia would be amazing, but it wouldn't be at the top of my list. All the Australian listeners are going to send you hate mail. I've got nothing <laughs> against Australia. All right. Well, let's talk about plastic bags and people choking other people. Australian supermarkets work to prevent bag rage as plastic ban takes effect. This is from Reuters.com. Australia's biggest supermarkets are scrambling to combat bag rage as frustrated shoppers vent their anger over the removal of single-use plastic bags. One man even went as far as to put his hands around a worker's throat because of the ordeal. How, How mad do you have to be about bags to choke someone? 
I just want to say quick off, if anybody's using a, a plastic bag once, they're using that plastic bag wrong. Because everyone knows that one person who has one plastic bag with like a hundred plastic bags inside of it. <laughs> so it's not single use. I feel like they categorize that wrong. Okay, so the removal of single use plastic bags is part of a national push in Australia to reduce waste. The average Australian produces 3.5 pounds of waste a day. Do you want to guess the average, what the average American produces? It's around there. If that I helps. would say five at least. Yeah, the average American produces 4.4 pounds of waste a day. Wow. And there's over 17.5 billion pounds of plastic that ends up in the world's ocean every year. It's crazy. It's a problem, Angie. It's a problem. Woolworths, an Australian supermarket, originally charged customers 11 cents per reusable bag until customer complaints forced them to offer them free until a later date. Coles, a rival supermarket, will be taking a proactive step and will have every checkout lane open to reduce line length and explain the changes to customers. Angie, does there need to be proactive steps to tell people that they can't use plastic bags anymore? Some of these topics. It's interesting that these are all real news stories and I can I would never expect that somebody would attack a cashier. We had there was a previous news story on the podcast where an old man literally attacked the man in front of him because he had 13 items in a 10 fewer or less. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. This happens a lot. Okay. So, again, going back to what we talked about before, in my perspective, it's not about the plastic bag. If if you're un- feeling unbalanced or not balanced in who you are, certain things would set you off. But to a fact that you would attack another human being, it's not about the plastic bag. There was something more There's going something on. There's something underneath that, just, that guy, right? Like, who knows what happened at home that day? Who knows well, what Well, he lost that... all his plastic bags. Well, he's angry. but chances are he's not that attached to his plastic yeah, bags, no, no, right? Yeah. So now in California, th- we had a similar... We had a similar law that was passed, and I think it's wonderful. I, for the most part, bring my bag, but I would say nine times out of ten. And I feel like that's just something that is really pretty easy to do. So why are people, here's the question, why are people getting in such an uproar about it? Is it that they feel a loss of control? Is it is inconvenient? But to get that unhinged where you are attacking somebody else, there's a whole other set of issues under there that I'm sure the gentleman that did that's not even aware of. But that's not healthy behavior, right, for anybody when in reality, it's something that helps us all. Well, in a statement about the change, National Secretary of the Shop Distributive and Allied Employees Association stated, after conducting a survey, the association found that out of the 132 members who responded, 57 said they had suffered abuse due to the plastic bag ban. So Abuse? Abuse. How, how, I, how verbal abuse. Um, it didn't clarify what. I would assume verbal wow. abuse is probably so pretty common and people cursing out other people over their plastic bags. Hold tight. Now, is it that those that are using recyclable bags or bringing their own bags are then abusing those that have plastic bags? Is that part of it too? No, it's those who are going to the grocery store expecting their groceries to be put in a plastic bag and then being mad that they either have to pay like Woolworths 11 cents a bag or they need to figure out a way to carry their groceries. Got it. Okay. But I like what you said, you know, people always have these underlying things and it's always one thing that always makes them upset that sets them off. And I really think it's come to a point that a lot of those people seem to be looking for that one thing to set them off. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's kind of how I see the situation is that guy who choked the grocery store worker, I think he was looking for something to set him off. 
I think sometimes people in that situation they just want to be mad. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of how I saw the situation. Was, this guy seems to be looking for something to set him off. Okay, interesting. So I can see how you see it that way. I actually see it a little bit differently in that I don't personally believe that people go in looking consciously, maybe unconsciously, yeah, maybe looking, more unconsciously, looking for conflict. I think sometimes people are very surprised at their own behavior. And we don't know. That could be a very normally balanced person who, let's say, his mom just died that day. Again, not making excuses for him. We don't know. I don't feel like I feel like most people do the best they can in most situations. And I know and I'm sure you've experienced when you're out of yourself and you've kind of went off the rails. It's not a fun feeling. You don't like how you show up in the world. Right. So. The important question is what caused you to be there? Because it's usually not 13 cents. That usually is not what's going to set you off. It's something deeper. And I think that anything that bucks the system a little bit, people sometimes will rail against. So I think that guy, again, we don't know what he was going through. We don't know his frame of thought, but his reaction was exactly that. It wasn't a response. It was a reaction. And it was not in tune with the situation at all. And quite honestly, somebody could have gotten very hurt. And over a plastic bag, is that how you want to go down? Yeah, that's not what you want on your... Uh... Yeah. Not me. That's not what I want online. <laughs> but I think it goes back to even our first story talking about how the louder minority speaks up because, you know, even though it seemed like half of the people surveyed had some sorts of abuse towards them, there's millions of people in Australia. There's millions of people who are going through this plastic bag effect. The whole Australia is not that one guy, but they try to kind of throw, oh, Australia is pissed off at this plastic bag ban when really it's just a few people that do these actions that speak the loudest. That's true. And I think there's also the opportunity where the other people in the grocery line have an opportunity to diffuse the situation. You know, I think people can step in. I've been in many situations. I think we all have when you've been in line and somebody might cut in front of you. Often people are doing it because they're just not conscious in that moment. They're not paying attention. It, it, it's not usually a malice intent. It's usually they're not there. They're not present. And there's one of two ways you can react. You can react of, hey, asshole, what are you doing cutting in line? Or excuse me, and just kind of holding your own space and worth. You know what? I, I You might not have noticed, but the line starts back there and you can do it without judgment. And that person will be, thank you. I apologize. My head was somewhere else. I've been in situations. I was actually in a restaurant in California and this woman did exactly that to me. It would have seemed probably very rude and abrupt to most people. And I just didn't feel that from her. So I didn't even say anything. I just smiled at her in a nice way because I've Obviously, she was not in herself in that moment. And she touched my hand and she said, I am so sorry I did that. I didn't even notice I did that. My mother is dying and I'm having a hard time. And I had a choice. Like, you can give somebody grace. Like, somebody could have talked that guy down if he wasn't so elevated, right? Somebody could have said, you know what? It seems like you're kind of having a hard day. I get it. I've been there too. But what I notice in a lot of today's world is people just jump on that judgmental wagon. You're either going to get people going, yeah, those guys are trying to take us for 13 cents a bag. Or you got the other side of the coin that are going to sit there and judge that guy when the truth is, Every one of us at one time has been unhinged, right? So how do you deal with that person and how do you how do you interact with them? And I feel like compassion is a better choice than judgment 
every time. All I know is the worst they could say is, do we have a problem here? Because then you will get stabbed. You know what? You raise a good point because there's, you know, there's been other instances where I've been in another situation where there has been somebody that has been so angry that was screaming at a cashier at a gas station and you know not to step in. And I didn't even step in and he turned around and he looked at me and there was no soul in that guy's eyes. And he looked at me like, you're going to (laughs) die. And I thought, I'm shutting up. And and I was scared. And he followed me out to my car. And I didn't even say anything. So you kind of got to know, I feel like, when to step in and when you just let the situation take care of itself. I think that's a very good sentiment and I think my kind of thoughts are around the same ideas so I don't need we don't need to go too much into it but I do want to ask you I guess to wrap up this story what do you think is the best way to kind of completely get rid of plastic bags go more green That's a really great question. I believe in personal responsibility. And I believe if we all just make little shifts, bigger shifts happen. So it's interesting that, you know, so many people are concerned about the environment. But in my opinion, it has to be backed with action. So when you go into Starbucks, bring your own mug into Starbucks, right? Like when I go into a coffee shop, I get my coffee in the cup there. I don't usually take out a plastic cup. And now there could be an argument, well, we use water to wash those dishes, right? Like there's always going to be a balance and counterbalance. But we ask companies to be so socially and, you know, eco-friendly. But it's also up to us to decide, you know what, I can bring a bag. It's not a big inconvenience. I can do that. That's my part. I can do packaging. You know, my company, Be Your Brand, works with brands to be connected and really be conscious. The packaging and everything else that's happening out there. Think about it. When you go to Target and you come home, you're throwing away so much advertising. And I come from an advertising background. I was in that field. We as consumers can say to these companies, hey, guys, you don't have to put three rings of plastic around razors. Or we can use razors that are not disposable. There's so many little things we can do, each of us, that add up. Well, I think the biggest thing is that there's so much information out there. Like, even to find how much waste an average American uses, there was like 20 different articles I had to go through and kind of take an average. And I think that scares away a lot of people, especially, Mm -hmm. I'll use the example of dealing with roar for change. You know, there's always the idea that lines are going to go extinct. And you can look at three different, like, major, well respected news sources and they'll all tell you a different thing. And I think that comes down to people are just misinformed on what's actually happening in the world. If I tell you 17.5 billion pounds of waste goes into the ocean every year, you understand that's a lot. But many people don't because they see the oceans as these gigantic 70% of the earth is covered in oceans. So I think that's a, a big thing is realizing that we need to be or find sources that are more smarter on how they perceive that information and then using that correct information properly because people will say, oh, you're, you know, you said people need to be more eco-friendly. Well, people take that as, oh, I need to live in the backwoods and fish and hunt off the la- or hunt and farm off the land. And that's not the truth. It comes down to one small thing can completely change how we care for the earth. And people don't realize that the common person's like, oh, I don't need to recycle because my neighbor's recycling. Mm-hmm. And that is 
not going to make an effect at all in the world. But when you have millions and millions of people with that same sentiment, then it makes a difference. So it's kind of realizing that these small changes, yes, they don't mean anything. But in the bigger picture, when you think of how many other people are thinking that same thought, it does mean something. So yes, recycling is important, even if it's just you, even if you're, uh, your neighbor's doing crazy recycling. What's that one thing where they... Composting? Composting, yes. Stuff like that. Even though he's doing all these things, that doesn't make up for your carbon footprint. You still have to be a part of improving how you treat the earth. Really well said, well, thank Adam. You. And I think that's one thing that I've really learned from you and you've taught me, particularly with Roar for Change, is learning the deeper issues of what are going in, right? With canned hunting and everything else. You know, there's the top line story and then there's headline and then there's everything else. And then there's everybody else's opinion from every different side. I think it's the same thing here. You know, I think judging somebody for judging is just as harmful as judging, right? It's still judgment. So sometimes it can go too far extreme where people are judging other people for using something. They might be giving back to the world in such huge ways that it balances them out, maybe taking from the earth in a different way. And for me, what helps is to surround myself with people that are smarter than myself. I believe you are that way. I really do. Well, thank you very much. And um, one of my best friends, Mara, works for ASU Sustainability, and she teaches me so much every time I'm with her. And I soak it up because I don't know what you know what's going on. And for some people, it might be really sad that a whale has washed up with a ton of bags inside of them. To me, that's really sad. For you, an animal lover, I'm sure it's really sad. For other people, that is not their concern. You You've got to reach people where it hits them in the heart and everybody has a different button. So to say somebody is heartless because they don't care about that whale is judging them and being righteous, in my opinion. So it's finding a happy medium of small connections, I believe, and making small changes. That's and, and getting informed and educating yourself and not believing that you know all the answers or that the other person is wrong and you are right. If I go into a conversation going like this with you here, what can I learn? Like, wow, Adam's going to throw his mom under the bus for $10 million. A billion dollars. Billion Let's make dollars. It. it has to be All a right, billion. Tam, it has to be a billion. billion. But again, I know you know that's not true, but it's just I learn every single time I sit down with you, Adam. That's why you are a valued client. That's why I adore you outside of being my nephew. You make me a better human being. Choked up a little saying that. <laughs> Thank you. As the much. aunt cries here. But no, he's you're a good human being. Even this podcast, what you're doing and reach the fact that you have reached all over the world and that you really are coming to the table able to get people to talk and you do it with humor and you do it with heart and you do get in deep and you help bring people together. It's priceless. That's damn good leadership. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I definitely do think it's important that even when I first started Roar for Change, Roar for Change was about telling both sides because I think that's important, like trophy hunting. People hate trophy hunting, but they don't realize the benefits of it. And there are pros and cons to it, but I think it's important for any of these stories, like any of these stories, like we had a story about a guy who thought the Nazi party was controlled by gay homosexuals. Even for all these stories, I try to put my mind into the other person's mm. kind of thing. And even that was super hard, but I tried doing it because I think it's important to even on crazy cases like that where I don't support that guy in any measure. I think it's important to try to find where he comes from to see why he comes from that, why he thinks these topics matter. Because when you do come to the table, when you do make that connection to really make change, there needs to be a connection. And if you meet that senator who thinks that and you're just 
constantly just, or let's use Trump, for example. A lot of people are against anything Trump does, but there's also a lot of good he does. But since it's Trump, you're just going to automatically assume what he says is bad, even though it could possibly be good. If you're going to come to the table and talk to Trump on how to change things, there needs to be a connection. You can't just go on, oh, I hate Trump and I'm just going to do whatever I think is right. There needs to be a connection and realizing that Trump has reasons for doing what he does, I think is super important. I agree 100%. I think that's very well stated. And I also think it's the only way that we are ever going to become to peace in this world, ever. You know, the fact that we can sit down and have this conversation, you and I don't always see eye to eye on things, but we are always respectful to each other when we talk. And you raised a great point about the Nazi gay story. You know, the sad truth is some people are going to hear the word Nazi and some people are going to hear the word gay and they're already going to make up their mind. Mm -hmm. And our podcast, the minute you said millennial, some people shut it down and the other people heard boomer and shut it down. I guarantee my words are going to be twisted by people. I guarantee your words are going to be twisted by people. People are going to take things out of context. That's how ego operates, right? The key in my perspective and what I really do my best to empower leaders is you got to stand in the truth of what you know to be true. You have to know where you stand on things. And I feel like if you're curious and you come to the table always wanting to learn like you said and, and hear somebody's perspective, you grow. And then, you know, perfect example, your brother, Josh, right? You guys could not be any more different. I sit down at the table with Josh and I, you know, he's more conservative and I learned so much from him. I got your side of the story, I, I, you know, and looking at you as people as opposed to just my nephews. And when I'm working with you one-on-one, -on -one, you're my client, right? So I'm there to just be of service to you in those moments. But if I ever came to the table as your aunt, your aunt would probably say, man, going to Africa, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. You know, and to be fair, I did that to Josh when he was going to go into the military. You know, I could see he was so passionate about it and he wanted to go, but we had lost so many people in our family that had died. I mean, the reality is people have died. A lot of people have died in our family. I was worried about him and I saw how worried your mom was and I have since, you know, really went back and apologized to him and said, you know, man, I'm really sorry because that was the aunt in me as opposed to the global leader in me. Yeah. Because I'm super proud of him and he's excelling and he did great there. So I just feel like even those closest to you, when you love that deeply, it's very easy to get blinded by fear. And more importantly, when you hate that deeply or you've got that much angst inside of you, like our supermarket friend who went a little nuts and off the rails at that time, he just left himself. I, you know, one of my pet peeves is when people say, oh, he showed his true colors, right? Or that's just who he is. My belief is that's how that person showed up in that situation. It's not who they are. It's what showed up. That's, that's a very good sentiment and something that I've actually been and learning more about because especially with Roar for Change having the views and I like what you said being true in your views is super important and like being true in my views on what I believe in like can hunting or not can hunting I'm against can hunting make that very clear trophy hunting like I received a lot of hate mail like so mm. much hate that that's the reason that. I stopped yeah. doing Roar for Change is because like people found out who my mom was and they would use my mom in their insults I did not know this tell me more this is interesting well it wasn't it wasn't like major but people 
be like, oh, your mom, Tammy, would be so disappointed in you. Oh, and, wow. And like in the moment, it really just knocked me out. You know, I couldn't do Broke for Change anymore because it's just such a toxic, you know, I talk about it in the video. It was just such a toxic area. But now since I've been doing the podcast and really interacting with more people on an international scope and having different culture and backgrounds to kind of bounce ideas off and hear their thoughts about things, I realize it's one of those things where, you know, the hate's not directed towards me. It's just they're mad about something else and they're using me as kind of a conductor to push their hate out. I mean, that's very true. And it's kind of a cliche what people say, but hurt people hurt people. It's it's very true. So what I've learned and what I really help my clients learn is if somebody's directing a ton of negative energy your way, you have a choice to receive it or to repel it, right? You can't control what's coming at you, but you always have a choice on how you're going to react to it or you're going to respond. And often the best answer is no response at all. So like what you were saying about Trump, you know, I'm for my whole battle cry right, so to speak, is I champion for leaders. I mean, I'm always rooting for the best part of them to win. It, it doesn't mean I ignore or I don't see their ego or their fear side and some of the dark, shady stuff they're doing. It means in the end, I'm going to put my energy to what I want to create because what you see and focus on grows, I believe. You're, if you want to see good in people, you're going to see good. If you want to see bad in people, you're going to see bad. But I will tell you, if you are looking at somebody through those lenses, you are often just projecting yourself onto them. You're probably not, if if you're looking at somebody with harsh eyes, you're more than likely, I have found nine times out of 10, harshly judging yourself. So I think that's the key right there is to get good with yourself, get clean with your soul and how you want to be in the world. And it really doesn't matter what other people will think of you as long as you know how you stand on it. Well, yeah, that's very, like, that's where I've gone to a point now. It's like every once in a while I receive an email for the podcast and people be like oh your voice is the worst and you suck I'll just be like the podcast makes me happy I don't give a shit what you think <laughs> I love I'm just it. doing Good. I had a my little pony brony thing that wanted to use my voice as one of their ponies yes, so that's true I always I don't respond but I'm always like I don't care you're not gonna ruin my where the toxic comments for Roar for Change ruined Roar for Change for me for that bit but I'm not gonna let those same toxic comments ruin my podcast because Good. I have a lot of fun doing it very interesting somehow to get from plastic bags to this. Well, because it's not because it's not about the plastic bag. It's not about the plastic It's not bags. about the it's about whatever that guy was thinking in that moment. I guarantee he was not being kind to himself. Mm-hmm. When you are kind to yourself and you are good to yourself and you feel good about your life, you are good to other people and you want to be good to other people. And when you slip off the rails and you lose your shit in front of everybody and everybody does it. I mean, that's why I love this podcast, Adam, you know, from a real deep place because I'm on a stage and I'm talking to people and what happens is people will put you on a pedestal and they can think that I have their answers. I have nobody's answers. This is just my truth, what I know to be true and what works well for me in my life. And I work with people like how I worked with you. I lead you to be the leader you were born to be, not to be somebody else. And I feel like people will put all sorts of judgments on that. I'm sure you found with War for Change, but I am spiritual. But because I'm spiritual doesn't mean I'm woo-wooing out there. Because I'm an intuitive doesn't make me crazy. There's always two sides of the coin. And I've also been harshly judged ever since I can remember. But what's inside of me is so much stronger than what's outside. I want people to see both sides.
words. I want people to know that I joke around with my nephew because then if I fall off my pedestal, which guarantee I will fall off of my pedestal as a leader, it's not such a big fall. It's normal human behavior and there's always two sides. And I feel like if we quit idolizing people and putting them in certain positions only to almost sometimes celebrate when they topple and fall, and that includes every government official, well, whether think, yeah, you like them or like not. Celebrities, people are waiting for them to fail. Exactly. Uh, all right, Angie, are you ready to get to the final story of the day? Are you ready to talk race? Race, yes. We can both clearly say that we are Caucasian whites. So with that, and I always like to preface a story by saying, you know, we only know our own experiences. So if we do talk about other those other experiences, just from what we have in our own experience, it's not we're not saying we know. We're just saying this is what we feel from our own experiences, right. just to make that very clear. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the final story of the day. Humans show racial bias towards robots of different colors. This is from IEE Spectrum. According to a study by researchers from the University of Canterbury in New Zealand, the results suggested that people perceive robots with humanic features to have race, and as a result, the same race-related bias that humans experience among each other. Out of that study, only 11% of those asked selected race does not apply. You've seen, have you seen a lot of robot movies and robots in general? I have not met a lot of robots in general, <laughs> Adam Schultz. However, I have seen movies. With Do you robots. think you would be in that 89% that would see a robot with very human features to have race? Or would you be in that 11% that just sees it as a robot? Race doesn't matter. Because the, the confusing thing is a lot of robots, a lot of these more humanic robots are made after their creators. So, you know, if a creator's white, the robot's going to look more white. If the creator's Asian, the robot's mm. going to look a lot more Asian. And for me, I can kind of see it. There's very realistic robots. But in general, to me, I don't think race plays a factor in robots. Mm -hmm. I just want to make that very clear right off the bat. These topics are awesome, actually. Well, I, the truth is the majority of robots are white. That is true. Like, Or even if you think of like stormtroopers, were they robots though? I don't know. No, those, they, they were, were not. Like, people they were with, clones. They were clones. All right. So erase that from the record. Dark, Darth Vader was a robot, but he was a black suit. Interesting. And the enemy. And the enemy. Yeah. See, there is that. And you know, somebody who's very interested in production in movies and has a pure passion for that. There's a lot of that going on. So I could see how, yes, I could see how it would translate. But do I, the question was, do I see that? I've never thought of robots as a race or a gender. I just think of them as a robot. Okay. I believe I believe that. Yeah. I think that's where most people probably set is a robot's a robot. There's not to the point of like Terminator where they're basically human with a robot exoskeleton or skeleton. So when presenting their results, lead author of the study, Christoph Bartnick, stated, we hope that our study encourages robot designers to create robots that represent the diversity of their communities. There's no need for all robots to be white. In an interview with IEE Spectrum, he continues, Racism is causing considerable damage to people and to our society as a whole. Today, racism is still part of our reality and the Black Lives Matter movement demonstrates that with the utmost urgency. At the same time, we are able to introduce social robots, that is, robots that are designed to interact with humans into our society. These robots will take on the roles of caretakers, educators, and companions. If robots are supposed to function as teachers, friends, or caretakers, for instance, there will be a serious problem if 
all these roles are only ever occupied by robots that are racialized as white. I include that statement because I think there's some importance to it. When you look at role models, you know there's always that saying that for African-American black kids, their role model is either a gangster, a rapper, or a basketball player. Okay. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that, oh, if there's a black robot, they're going to aspire to be a black robot because that's, I mean, impossible. But I think it makes them more comfortable to see more people in even robots in uh, positions of greater significance. So there's always the study where if a white guy walks into an all-black restaurant, he's going to feel a lot more different than if he walks into even a mixed or an all-white restaurant. I think that's the same thing with this robot thing. Like I said at the beginning, I don't think there's race in robots, but looking from the other side, mm-hmm. you know, I can see where, say, uh, you know, an African-American kid goes to school and it's a robot teaching and all the robots are white. He may feel not as comfortable as the white kid. So I can kind of see that. I don't know what, what I, I want to know your thoughts before I go too much into no, this. No, I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. You're making me think. I think it's actually very relevant because obviously the way technology is going, you know, and you look at how robotic our world is coming, it it's not coming, it's here. It's here now. So if you look at race relations and what's everything going on in the world, the same rules apply. So I'm a big believer of not labeling anything. And there's a difference in my point of view of holding pride for something and putting energy and a label on something, right? So just the fact, I, same thing we talked about. Before, when you said Black Lives Matter, I guarantee you some people just shut down and mm-hmm. they already made up a mo- what you're going to say. I guarantee when you said I am a white Caucasian, another segment just shut down. So you also followed that up with by saying, hey, I'm just sharing my experience. The issue is a lot of people have already shut you off at the gate. So they're not going to hear what's behind that. Just like we said millennial or we said baby boomer the earplugs, right? People will just shut it off. So what's important is what's interesting about a robot is we put on a perceived gender. We put on perceived rate. We put all of that in just like we do in the universe. We created time. We create the meaning around these things. When robots really, as they are, have no race, have no gender, have no religion, have no political affiliation, it's what we put onto it. So I think it's really important. What would be wonderful is in my opinion, if we could see that people would actually allow that species, so to speak, to be that way. And perhaps they could teach us all to stop saying, oh, that black guy over there, right? Or white privilege. You know, anytime anybody's talking about white privilege, my point of view is that you're bringing more energy to that. Either way, it doesn't matter. Like, take the energy off of all these hot topics and put the energy on what you want to create. And what most people want to create is connection, which you talked about, and peace. So focus on how can I connect with that person as opposed to how am I divided from? So robots have no innate soul that we know of or heart or brain. It's all programmed. So you would say those are the three defining characteristics of a human? Well, I would say that we have a soul, we have our own mind and free thought, right? As far as we know, robots do not have those things, right? But they're programmed and they are programmed by somebody. We are, I believe, programmed from when we're little kids. We're programmed with what is 
is right and what is wrong. They're clean slates, really. So it's what we project or put into them that is interesting. So do I think it's interesting that people are having a discussion about race and robots? Absolutely. Do I think it's relevant to the times? Absolutely. Do I think we should keep saying races have never been more divided? Nope. I think we should be saying this world is so connected. Even if it's not true, the universe, from what I have always experienced, doesn't hear that. It goes with the energy of connection. Put out what you want, not what you don't want. Like, it doesn't have to be white lives matter, black lives matter. It doesn't have to be all people matter. Just don't put the energy on that and focus on what you want and what most people I have found universally. The only connecting thing I can find between every race, every religion, every creed, every generation, every age, honestly, Adam, is that everybody innately inside of them is striving for peace. It's a one connection point we all have. That's about as much as I can tell you about the robot scene. I think it's stupid that we have to apply color has to mean something. You know, when you look at Caucasians or African American, we're not white. We're a tan peach (laughs) mix. Blacks aren't black. And I think it's stupid that, you know, we went back to talking about like production and film is light versus dark, white versus black. Since the dawn of man, those have already represented two things with white being good, clean, dark being dirty. But then people, oh, I have to apply race to that. Black is dirty. Oh, are you saying African-Americans are dirty? No, I'm not. I'm saying the color black is dirty. It's dark. We're in a room surrounded by black blankets. If we turn off the light, it can be completely dark in here. That has nothing to do with race, but people always have to add race to any conversation. Race has to be added for for some reason, because I think it's a very hot topic issue right now. Yes, it's not as divided as it once was, but I think with social media, it's one of the most talked about topics in history at the moment, even more so than during you know the 60s with segregation, or even more so during the Civil War because of social media. I think it's everyone in the world is talking about race. Everyone, you know, when you when President Obama was elected to office, everyone in the world either had an opinion on the first African-American president. president. I just think it's stupid that we're taking this inanimate object. Well, not inanimate, but not a human object. I also believe humans are defined by a soul. But why aren't we having the same discussion over a car? I have a black car. Does that mean I love black people? Well, Well, if I have a white car, does that mean I love white people? No, it's just a color. It's interesting you say that, though, but there and you being the animal lover that you are, there's a lot of research that I've found on how people have certain views on dogs. So we have two black dogs. Black dogs are seen different and more dangerous than white dogs. Now, where did that come from? They're dogs, right? They, the most unconditional loving people in the planet. So again, that's all us. You know, you talked earlier, what did, when you're talking about the millennial, you said a safe room, is that what you called it? Or a safe spot? Yeah, that's what they say, a safe spot. Okay, so that's similar. So, so we talked about generational divide, race divide, gender divide is the other big divide I see. And what's interesting about robots is, again, they are not born into a certain sex, right? They are created, they are manufactured. So people have such a hotbed on that topic in safe spaces. When, I, when you asked me what I thought about it, I don't have a feeling about it either way because I've never been in those shoes. I've never been transgender. I've never been bisexual. I've never been gay. Who am I to judge if they need a safe space or not? Who am I judge anybody for anything, right? If, if I'm so busy judging somebody, that says a lot about my life and less about the life that I'm judging. What bathroom they go in and what not bathroom, 
I as long as they are being good people in this earth, and again, that's even speculative what people will judge as good people. It's very similar to the robot, right? Because we can program a robot to contribute or we can program a robot to destroy. So whoever is controlling that robot, if they are in their heart and their soul, that's going to be, a, in my opinion, a very life-affirming, giving thing to our society. But if we have those in fear and doubt, they're going to program those robots just like people and we're programmed. Do you think there'll ever be a day where robots will be given free thought? I think it's possible. I think with artificial intelligence, the way it's going, you know, I, I lean towards Ellen Musk on this. I I really have a concern, not a worry, but a concern for artificial intelligence because I look at how humans operate when they're in fear and an ego. So if we are then transferring them to somebody that even does not have a soul, which could recalibrate them back into a place of graciousness and being the best for humankind, that's a scary thought. Do I believe humans are better than not? I do. Like, I'm an optimist. I believe people are inherently good. I believe people really do try their best. Robots? Adam, it's totally left to be unseen, man. I have no clue. Yeah, I'm definitely someone who, I mean, not anytime soon. I don't think not in my gener- or my lifetime, not in my kids' lifetimes, not even in my grandkids' lifetime. I definitely believe we will get to a point where a robot has free thought. Because even if you look at you know, the brain makeup of a human, it's all chemistry. It's all stuff that we haven't recreated, but we can recreate eventually down the line. And the question is, so say, so say we both agree on eventually robots will have free thought. I want to bring this back all the way to the plastic bag one. But do you think if we're going to give robots race, quotation marks on that race thing here for all the listeners, at what point do you think robots deserve equal rights? Because you know if a robot has free thought, eventually down the uh, yes. down the way, it's going to be, when do we give these guys equal rights? And do you think robots, let's make it easy, do you think robots deserve equal rights if they have free thought? Because if you think about the guy in the shopping mart or the shopping supermarket, imagine that's a robot. If he's willing to do that to a human, imagine what he's willing to do to a robot. Well, here's the qu- here's here where I break it down is if they have free thought, do they they have free thought. I don't believe, based on what I know about artificial intelligence and technology at this time, that it is actually free thought. If somebody is programming that thought, there is an algorithm under there that is leading that species in a certain way. If that species showed up in their own free will and thought, that would be a different deal. I we haven't seen that that I know of in this world. Well, you don't think humans are in that similar vein? Because let's take, I'm not religious, but the common perception is that God programmed the first two humans and then through reproduction, his programming became less and less and less and less and less and less and less. And, less. and why can't it be that same way with robots where Elon Musk makes the first artificial free-thinking robot and then that free-thinking robot makes its own robot and then it makes its own robot and it makes its own robot? Is that not a possibility? I think it's it would be a utopic 
possibility. It would be awesome. But I believe that any situation that a human views, it's still viewed from that human perspective. So it's going to be Ellen Musk's reality. You know, going back to Barbara, right? And and her lottery winning. She sees that experience, that one experience with every filter that she grew up in her whole life. Maybe she was taught as a child that she's got to hold on to everything she's got because when she was little, it was all ripped away. Again, we don't know. It's it's the same situation when, you know, five people see a car accident, they're going to see it a different way. When six people read a news story, they're going to take away whatever they learned and also what they intuitively know, and they're going to form their truth. So that's why when people say, you're wrong, or it's this way, my feeling about that is that is how they feel. That is their truth. And whether they're an ego and it's completely fear-driven at the time, or whether it is coming from their soul and their truest part of them, in the reality, in that moment, when you are so in your fear and ego, like our shopping guy with the plastic, he believed himself. That's why when somebody's being that bitter to you, it's really easy to believe they're a bitter, horrible person. Because in that moment, they've taken on that energy and that's how they're showing up. So, you know, I think Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. I don't believe with that. I believe when people show you where they are, believe them and trust that another time they might be in a different point of energy. So is Elon Musk in his heart? Is he in his soul? Is he for the greatest good? Is there no ulterior motive? Is there no ego involved when he is programming? And then who's to judge when he's in his heart and when he's in his ego? You know, it's that's very in the ethos, if you will, right? Here's what I like about this topic is I see such a hot topic right now about gender and how people are relating as he or she or again, you know, my generation being gay was a bigger issue. Your generation, it was coming in more where there was bisexual. Sam's generation, Generation Z is more, a lot more, you see more transgender and all these other combinations. And it's so interesting if you look at the older generations, it's what I see. They'll pinpoint that this is the way it has to be. It has to be this way or that way. Again, they have, if that's their truth, that's awesome. I don't judge them. And I see there's a full spectrum of how people can show up. And who am I to say, I didn't make these people. So if I make these robots, chances are they're going to show up like me. If you make your robots, Adam, they're probably going to care about animals. They're going to have wacky podcasts, throw right? Throw my mom under the bus They're going to throw your mom dollars. under the bus for a million dollars. A billion dollars. Let's make it clear. A it's billion. a billion. Yeah. So I don't think it's an easy subject, but I do think you are so right on the money. You made the best point when you said people often lately put a lot of race connections to things. And it's not even connections, it's attachment. So if everybody could stop creating that divide, even in their minds, you would find that the divide started to lessen. My question to you is you had me take a test before I started this online. And I would love, I was so incredibly intrigued with this yeah, test. Yeah, we can, we can add in that information. So if uh, you so, share that, Adam. Yeah, so to get the results, Christoph and his team used the shooter bias test. So that's how they found out the results that people think robots have raised. In the shooter bias study, participants are put into a role of a police officer who has to decide whether to shoot or not to shoot when confronted with images in which people do either hold a gun in their hand or just an object. The image is shown for only a split second and participants in the study do not have the option to rationalize their choices. 
is. They have to act within less than a second. And we both took that test. Yes. For me, it was only a two millisecond difference when armed white versus black, but it was a 31 millisecond difference between when armed white versus black. So I took longer to decide if the black civilian was unarmed or not compared to the white civilian. Mm -hmm. And then do you want to share your results? Right. So in my results for the unarmed, it was equal in the number of that I had incorrect. So one incorrect white, one incorrect black, which means I basically would have killed a black person and a Caucasian. Right. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Um, um, and what's interesting about my results for those that were armed in the video is that my reaction time took longer for, for the somebody. unarmed. No, for the armed. Oh, was it? Okay. For the armed was a longer reaction time if they were black. So what's interesting what, about that whole test to me was, number one, I've never heard of it. So again, here's something else I learned from you that I would have never known something your generation brought to me, which is incredible leadership. And when I first, you how that test goes is you have an example where you get to do a trial run. And what I noticed is the first thing I did look at was their faces. Of course, you see the color of their skin. Sometimes I didn't register it as black or Mexican or even white, but I usually would register it often as white. Well, the next time I took it, I just focused on what was in their hand. And you have just a split second to make the decision. So that made me really reflect and go, I could see why these kids are getting killed. I could see it because number one, I had to think, did this button mean kill or shoot? Or did this button mean no, they're safe? And you've got somebody's life in your hand and you have less than a split second to make it. And sometimes a cell phone, just first glance could look like a black cell phone could look like a gun. And I actually killed more Caucasians. <laughs> Didn't I? Yeah. I no, it... I actually, no, I killed three. No, you let more Caucasians kill you. Yes, exactly. Then the other way around. So it begs the question, if you are a police officer in those situations, what is your decision making process at the time? Actually, I just had a conversation about this with a retired police officer, and it's literally a split second decision. And, you know, I'll post this test for you guys to take, but it does. It's a black cell phone and someone's hand looks like a gun sometimes. Yeah. And you know, mine was, I took longer to decide if the black civilian was unarmed or not compared to the white civilian. It's not because I'm racist. I'm not racist. We're both not racist. We, I think everyone has racial biases. Yes. Just because going back to the part I talked about, you know, the black kid going into the school and having a bunch of white robot teachers. I think we grew up with white people. We grew up with people that look the same as us. So we're more comfortable around those people. And it's not because, oh, I don't like black people. It's because that's all I knew growing up. And then, you know, when I started to meet more people and started to travel more and have more experiences like that, you realize that those people are the same as my family growing up. They're just a different color. But you're always inclined to trust those people you grew up with more than these random strangers you met along your life. No, I think that's absolutely right. And the other thing, Adam, I found really interesting about that test was the environment. So sometimes it was the woods. Sometimes the backdrop was inner city by a train track or a subway. Other times it was in a park. And I am sure there has to be a bias in other parts because I remember sometimes they would show a young white male in the woods with a plaid shirt on, which you would somebody from Minnesota would think hunting. You know, you would, but he had a pistol in his hand, right? So that's a different thing. Or they would show an African American man in the library, and then that wouldn't always 
cities compute quickly. So I think the space and the place, actually, if you were a police officer or and if you were an innocent person in that space checking your cell phone or had something in your hand, it's not it's so it's the space, it's the race. And then it's also what we've talked about on this whole podcast. It's what you bring to the table. What are your biases? What are what did you learn? How are you programmed to believe things about people? I think that's I think you made a very good point on the environment definitely plays a factor because even you know there's parts in your town where it's like oh probably shouldn't go to that part of the town just because of the environment and it's not because oh that's the black part of town or that's the hispanic part of town or that's the caucasian part of town it's just that environment makes you feel uncomfortable because going back to you're not used to it but yeah definitely agree you know if i'm going to like a shopping center compared to going with or compared to going to like the woods, I'm more on guard in the woods and I'm more likely to make a bad split second decision just because I'm more on guard and I'm not, I'm thinking something bad's gonna happen where if I'm in a shopping center, I don't know why I said shop, I've been teaching myself Spanish. So a <laughs> mall, a mall. Right. Where you're going to the mall, you're not on guard as much. So you're less likely to make that wrong split decision. You're more likely to be like, oh, what's going on? All right, realize what's going on, make the decision. Whereas if you're already kind of heightened suspense or heightened fear, you're more likely to make that wrong split decision. Exactly. You're going to react. The supermarket, you know, guy did with his with his bags. And I think the environment you're in plays a difference like this. As you just said that this whole situation reminds me when I was in Hong Kong for business. Right. So I am blonde, blue eyed. I look very Swedish. Right. I'm American. I'm I stand out there very much so. And what was really interesting is what I take out of the whole race relations is I'm I go by energy. Is it a high vibe area? Is it a low vibe area? It doesn't matter who's in that area. Where are they at? Right. Are they in their heart and their soul and they're vibrating high in this world? Or are they really vibrating at a low place? Because you can feel that. That's when it feels unsafe or scarce. Right. So you've got scarcity and abundance and not abundance of money, abundance of energy. So anything that feels good, like gratefulness, happiness, joy, positivity, anything on the positive side, and then anything on the negative side would be shame, guilt, anger, sadness, regret, like anything that pulls your energy down. When we were in Hong Kong, my client brought me to this uh, refugee organization. And a lot of people, I would think if I'd said that, would think it would be have a lower vibration. It was actually one of the highest vibrating people I've ever met, both in staff and the refugees that were there, because these people were leaders and they are survivors. And, you know, one guy shared the story of how he had to walk walk for weeks and he showed me his foot and his bottom of his um, uh, heel had had rubbed. I mean, it was blood. I mean, it was crazy. But he was so positive and optimistic. A few days later, she brought me to another part of town and people were actually living in cages. I mean, Adam, small cages. And that was their home. So not so different how boxes would be here in America. But the vibe over there felt dangerous. In fact, we were walking down the street and there is this one guy in the street and and he turned around and he had that same hate and rage in his eye that I saw with the guy at the convenience store. And everything in me said, get out of here now. This is not safe for you to be. And in fact, I pulled my client. I go, we are, I'm an intuitive and we are not safe here. Let's go. Often I feel like what you're feeling too is it can be unfamiliar, but it's also important to trust your gut because if there's somebody in that low fear and vibration, they're not safe to themselves. They're not safe to you. And it does not matter the color of their skin. 
In that moment, they are so far outside of themselves that they are not safe. Well, and I think that's something that's very commonly happened is people don't want to be racist, but they end up putting themselves in a dangerous situation because they're not comfortable with it. And it, and it goes both ways, because I'm sure, you know, if I was an African-American and I was in an all white setting and I was raised a certain way, I would be more comfortable in another situation. Every person has their own background, right? There's so many different ways to look at it. I mean, I guess the moral of the story is don't be a racist to your robot overlords. Don't program racist <laughs> robots. Well, all right, Angie, those were our four stories of the day. Uh, I very much appreciate you coming on. You have been a big inspiration in my life. You're someone who I very much value who you are as a person, not only as a leader, but as my aunt. And I think that's important that everyone has someone like you in your life or in their life because you have taught me so many things. And I've told you this multiple times. I'm who I am because of what you've taught me in life. And I just want to say thank you for doing this podcast. You have been a fabulous leader to me and I want other people to experience what you've taught me uh, so you know let them know kind of how they can do that oh now I gotta stop ready to tear up Adam thank you no problem. that's I could feel that you meant that from the heart and I adore you and I believe in you so much and I'm so honored to this is one of the coolest things that you could ever do with a leader and client that you love so much and believe in let alone it's just icing on the cake that you're my nephew I welcome the opportunity to help other leaders like you of any age of any generation right I'm open to anybody that that is truly committed to being the best leader. So you can find me at AngieKrause.com. And that's my first and last name. So my last name is Krause, K-R-A-U-S-E.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. That's also a really good place to find me. Again, just put my name, Angie Krause, in the search bar and I will come up. And I look forward to connecting with your audience. I am very grateful for this experience. Well, awesome. Yeah. And make sure to send her some love on those platforms. Well, today we had Millennials Outrage after baseball team advertises Millennial Night. See you in court, on tells nephew after 1.2 million lottery win. Australian supermarkets work to prevent bag rage as plastic ban takes effect. And humans show racial bias towards robots of different colors. Angie, what was your favorite news story of the day? I really thought the story about the aunt and the nephew was really interesting, but I gotta say I appreciated the opportunity to talk about the millennial and the divide between the boomers because that's something I'd love to see come together. Yeah, I really like the plastic bag one just because the the direction we took that conversation was something I was not expecting. Yeah, that's like true. Like I had, you know, information for a whole other conversation ready, prepared, and then we went a totally different direction. I love those conversations where it's just off the, off the cusp and just what you're feeling in that moment. If you guys are wondering what you're listening to, Angie, if you're wondering what you're talking on, this is Water Cooler Talk. You guys can catch new episodes so it's every other Thursday. Actually, announcement right now. Water Cooler Talk, thanks to you guys loving the show and I love all the emails, all the support. We are now moving to three times a month. That's right. It's going to be a little shorter episode each time. It'll be only three stories per guest, uh, but we are moving to three times a month. 
And you can find those episodes on Spotify or on Podbean. And eventually we will be on iTunes. I know you guys are asking about that. We're making our way there. We're making, we want to build up a, a good fan base and then move our way onto iTunes. But we will be on there shortly. Don't you guys worry. And if you guys want to send in any crazy, uh, strange news stories from your local news, that would be pretty cool. I know we have a very international audience. You can send those stories to watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. All right, Angie, for every single guest, I put them on the hot seat to close out the show. If you have a talent, if you want to sing a song, if you have a funny joke, maybe a story, or if you have some wise words to give to our listeners, the floor is yours. What I'd like to share is that while everybody is seeing so much divide, I see so much connection in the world. And if you look for it and you look for the good in people, I guarantee you will find it. So focus on that and focus on how united we are as opposed to how divided we believe we are. And that's the first step in getting there. I feel like that's what matters most right now in the world. Very wise words, Angie Krause. Very wise words. Anyways, guys, we will see you in two weeks from now with a brand new episode. Hasta la vista, baby. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. <laughs>